Great. Well, good evening. Thanks, Marmot. Cheers. Thank you. Um, guys, thank you for, uh, for giving me the opportunity to speak to you this morning. I'm Jordan, um, and if you don't know me, I'm a first-year Bible college student, and uh, it's just, I just want to thank you for, for the real opportunity to, to really get to speak to you and to share God's Word. Um, the message that I'm going to bring this morning is sort of like uh, mixed through two messages that I've put together, sort of one that I gave to the Evergreens, but it all really started sort of when I was in Scotland. Uh, originally, I studied as a teacher for two years, um, and then I left to be a pastor against my mother's will. Um, you should have seen when I told her that I was leaving, it did not go down well, but I did anyway. And after that, about two weeks, I was looking for a job to sort of begin to build feeds for Bible college. And uh, two weeks went by, I looked for jobs everywhere. I think the nearest job to me was at Tesco in Coleraine. Literally, nothing was being provided until one day the phone went. And it was a family friend of ours, uh, and who I, someone who I have grown up knowing is just Uncle Tommy. Uncle Tommy and Auntie Anne. And he says, Jordan, uh, I know you don't have really any real experience, but I need a pastor. Um, my youth pastor is leaving, and my children's pastor is on maternity leave. Can you do both for me for five months? Out of nowhere, God provided that. And my journey through Scotland, while it was hard being away from family and it was hard being away from Chloe and friends, but uh, God really put something in my heart, which is part and parcel of this message this morning. And it was something that he really stirred in me and put so deep in me that I knew that I knew that I knew while I was in Glasgow that this was going to be brought back to the church. I knew that God had rooted something so deep that eventually this was going to have to be shared back home. And I hope this morning what I bring out of God's word will bless you, and I hope that it will uh, drive you into the purposes that God has for you. So our reading this morning is, just before I lay a foundation, just to get us there, ready to go, is Second Judges, verse 6. And we'll go from there in just a wee second. Uh, just to lay a foundation, so I got to do this at the Evergreens, right? Um, which is fantastic. I realized that it just wasn't speaking to so Judges 2 and 6. Did I say 7 Judges? You know what's bad when your mom and dad are having to correct you as you're preaching? <laughs> Second Judges? Judges 2, you said the Bible college student, right? Judges 2, verse 6. Hmm? Have I got the right one? I oh, know, Judges 2. Judges 2, verse 6. Are we all there? Yeah. All good. Sorry about that. Anyway, sure. Okay, so just to lay a wee bit of um, a foundation, I got to speak to the Evergreens about this, and again, I realized that I just wasn't speaking to a group within church, but I got to speak to a generation. And um, I didn't realize really until I began to speak to these guys just how much we owe that generation. Um, I don't want to say the older generation, I call them the experienced generation, so as not to offend anybody, right? But we owe so much to that generation. Do you know that they brought the church through some of the darkest days in our nation's history? Through the troubles you were faithful, through the darkest stages in our political system and, our, and socially even in Northern Ireland and through the conflict and everything, you stayed firm and you stayed the course. And many of you are part impartial as the reason why Donald Elam is still here today. And so can we honor our older generation this morning? Just... just for what they did. But you know what, actually speaking to the, the Evergreens sort of scared me at the same time. We, me and Chloe were sitting next to Harry and I'm thinking, they were all singing out of, you know, like the wee redemption hymnal. They were singing out of that, right? And I'm going, this is going to be us one day, right? We are going to be 70, right? Stuart McCaig is still going to be leading our generation in worship. We're going to be singing Hillsong Young and Free with the accordion at the front, right? That, that's going to happen, right? That day's coming, scared me, right? 
But as I said, no, this message really comes from a route that something God put in me when I was in Scotland to, to bring home for you. Um, and just again, just to lay the foundation of this, I believe that church should be multi-generational. I believe that every generation is the work together in church. I believe that church, theoretically, should have no generational gaps. I think we're actually really blessed in Dundonald that we have children, youth, young adults, we have uh, people in their 30s, we have middle-aged people, we have young families, we have middle-aged parents still with families, we have our, our middle-aged people, we have our older generation as well. We are actually really blessed that we have every generation represented in here tonight. And that's for a purpose. That's for a purpose that every generation is here. Because no matter what stage of the walk you are with Jesus, no matter what age group you represent this morning, you have a purpose in this church. Every generation has a part to play in the work of God. And we need every generation to play their bit, to play their part, if we're going to be propelled in the walk God has for us. Every generation, whether you're 25 or you're 75, you have a part, an essential part to play. And I feel that, I gave this to the Evergreens, and I feel that maybe this is someone, for someone here in the room tonight, and I don't, or this morning, and I don't know if maybe, again, what age you are or what um, generation you come from. But I feel that there's maybe one or two of you, or maybe more, that you feel as though you're not involved in maybe church the way you used to be. You're not being used by God, perhaps, the way you used to be. But God has not stopped using you. He's only changing how he's using you. God has not stopped using you. Because sometimes as we go to the different stage in the walk with Jesus, we're not, how we are used changes. Our influence changes a wee bit. And I'm just saying to you, for any of you who are maybe struggling, maybe feeling a little bit not with it, or maybe feeling a little less involved, can I challenge you this morning that God has not stopped using you. He's changing how he's using you. Um, and we even talked about that with the Evergreens, and they said, thank you for that, because I think sometimes um, when the new generation rises up, and I'll, I'll look into that later, it can feel as though uh, we're meant to take a step back from church. Not at all. Not at all. When the new generation rises up, everybody keeps going. Everybody keeps pressing in together. Um, but again, we'll, we'll get to that later. So anyway, finally to our reading. That was the longest intro ever, but sure. Verse 6, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served God the Lord throughout their lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And we'll skip to verse 10. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. This is important. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. The theme of what I wanted to speak about this morning is this, legacy. I want to speak about legacy this morning. I find it astonishing that the people of God, this generation, Joshua's generation, who had seen the Red Sea part, who had seen the walls of Jericho come down, who had seen even the very sun stand still, the generation that behind them knew nothing of God or what they'd done for them. How does that happen? A generation that saw God move in such a majestical and powerful way. The next generation did not even know God. It says the whole generation from the youngest to the eldest did not know God. I wonder, was it because they became comfortable? Did they enjoy the land of milk and honey so much so that they forgot the one who gave it to them? Were they too busy fighting battles in the promised land that they forgot to tell the generation behind them that it was God who was fighting for them on along? Did they get complacent in their desire to have encounters with God? 
Did they become lackadaisical in worship? Did they become lackadaisical in prayer? And the reality of it is, we don't know. We don't know exactly what happened. But what we do know is this. They left an inheritance for the next generation, but they did not leave a legacy. They left inheritance for the next generation, but they did not leave a legacy. Inheritance is something you leave for someone. Legacy is something you leave in someone. And there's a difference. They left inheritance. They left the land. Am I okay there, guys? Yeah, am I thinking a wee bit? Yeah, I'm just touching it too much. They left inheritance. They left the, uh, the promised land. But they did not leave legacy. And we as a generation, as the church, and this morning I will talk to us as individual generations and as one generation of Dundonald Elam as we are right now, about leaving a spiritual legacy. What is it we leave in the next generation? It's living faith in Jesus. It's living faith that just isn't there, but it is thriving and it is growing, it is growing. That is our call, church, you individually and us together to leave in the next generation, the generation coming through legacy so that we can guarantee that the next generation does know their God. And don't get me wrong, right? Inheritance is a good thing. Inheritance today for the church can look like a building. It can look like finance. It can look like resource. Um, but inheritance isn't the most important thing. What is more important in our generation is that we leave legacy. Not what we leave for the next generation in the physical, but what we leave in the next generation in the spiritual. Crucial. Crucial for the next generation. So for our generation right now, no matter what age you are, your role to play, you need to leave legacy. Yes, in the church, but in your family. Maybe even believers you know in your workplace who are younger than you. Every area of your life, we are called to leave legacy. And here's one of the ways, I'm going to highlight three ways that we can leave legacy. Three of the most important ways, three of the most important things we must do to leave legacy, but it's underlined by this, your example. If we are to leave legacy, we must be an example. Second Timothy 3, verse 10 to 11 says this, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Inconim, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. When Paul says you endured, uh, basically he's using a really, or sorry, when you observed, as it says in the RSV version, he's using a really, really strong Greek verb, which means that you saw absolutely everything I did. You came right along with me. You were there by my side. There was no part of my life that was hidden to you. You observed me in the absolute fullest. And church, we have to be willing to be examples in a way that no part of our lives are hidden, that every part is laid bare to how we are serving God to the next generation. And Paul says, yes, you saw my teaching. Yes, you knew my purpose, but you knew how I lived. It's okay to teach the next generation. It's okay to tell the next generation they have purpose, but if they have no example of how to live, the next generation are not going to come through. We have to be a generation that examples what it is to leave living faith by how we live. So, first one is this this morning. Passion for the word. If we want to know how to leave a legacy, this is what we have to example. I'm going to show you how do we example three things. The first thing is this. We have to have passion for the word of God. I'm not going to ask you to read it, but second, or, yeah, second Kings 22 is in a state of Israel and the history of the people of God where things were not in a good state. Politically, socially, um, morally, it was a really, really dark time for the people of Israel. And it was at that time in the history of God's people that Josiah's generation came to the forefront, that Josiah took the throne. And in that stage, they commissioned some work in the temple that needed to be done, a wee bit of refurbishment here and there. And during that, it says in verse 8, 
that the high priest Hilkiah came to the king's secretary and says, look what I found. What is it? It's the book of the law. I have found the book of the law. Now, for them in their day, the book of the law was the equivalent to our Bible. It was the first five books of Scripture. In other words, I have found God's word. Now, what startled me was, you don't find anything unless it's lost. You don't find anything unless it's been lost beforehand. Do you know where it was lost? In God's house. The word of God somehow got lost in God's house. You see, it would explain the last 75 years for the people of God. Because the three generations going through Manasseh and going through King Amos, they had neglected and neglected the word of God to the point that it was missing by the time Josiah's generation got up. If a generation neglects the word of God long enough, and it can happen without us even realizing it, we can lose the word of God completely in his house. If we want an example to the next generation, how to live for Jesus, we have to have, not just enjoy the word, not just read the word, we have to have a passion for the word of God. A passion for the word of God. And this is what happened when Josiah heard the word of God. Now bear in mind, this was the leader of God's people. He was 26 when he would have heard the word of God for the very first time in his life. And it says he tore his robes and he mourned because he realized just how far his generation had gone from God. Just how far his generation had stepped off the mark from the word of God. Why? Because the generations before him had let him down because they did not keep the word of God at the center of their lives. And this is what Josiah does. He takes the word of God. He goes to the temple. He gathers all the people of God. And Josiah goes in first. And he said, the Bible says in chapter 23 that he recommits himself to the Lord and that he promises to keep his commands and his teachings. He exampled then to the people of God who then came in after and said, God, we will do the same. They then recommitted themselves as a generation to the, to the Lord and to his teaching. And as a result of that, the word of God was put back at the center of their lives, back at the center of how they worship. Because you see, the scripture is the final and the supreme authority in our lives. It is the final and the supreme authority in our church, the final and the supreme authority in our family. And when they put that back at the center of their lives, the people of God changed and the nation changed. Because when the word of God gets neglected in the house of God, it gets neglected in the people of God, and then it gets neglected in the nation. Church, we need to keep the word of God at the very center of everything that we are, everything that we do, everything that we teach, whether it's from a platform or whether it's to your kids around a dinner table. Keep the word of God at the center. We have to example passion, love for the word of God. Next thing is this passion for presence. I got the, me and some of the guys here at Bible College at the minute, we're doing sort of visits and stuff on a Friday as, as part of our placement. And me and Aaron um, got this great opportunity to, to go see Mrs. McCartney, who's, who's here this morning, uh, Doris. And we were, we were chatting and stuff. And uh, before we came to prayer, Doris was telling us about, you know, some of the things that she had seen in her life. And basically she was passing down stories from her generation to us. And she was saying how she sat under the ministry of George Jeffries, who, if you don't know him, he, um, while he was imperfect, he, he started the uh, Elam movement that we're in today. He brought revival to both Ireland and England and really saw a burning of the Pentecostal flame in our generation. And I said to Doris, why was healing so prevalent and so normal in your meetings? Why was miracles commonplace? Why was mass salvation so common? Why, why did it happen all the time? She looked at me and she said, son, 
the difference between your generation and mine is hunger for the presence of God. And if you look through history, it's true. Folks, we have to begin to stow the fires of hunger for the presence of God. If we want to leave legacy in the next generation, we have to be hungry for the presence of God. Great worship, great music will not keep the next generation. Great preaching will not keep the next generation. Great events will not keep the next generation. The presence of God will bring in the next generation. Church, Psalm 27 verse 4 says this, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in his holy place, to seek him in his temple. Guys, we've got to be a generation that is hungry for the presence of God, which desires the presence of God. Do you know that when Elam started, and it wasn't just Elam, it was other Pentecostals move like, uh, like it, like the Assemblies of God and other moves of God in the early 1900s, when God poured out his spirit upon the, Britain, uh, the British Isles again, that was not just something that was a continuation of anything. Do you know that the idea of Pentecost, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that the moves of God that we see in the 20th century was missing from the church for probably about three to 400 years. Pentecost got lost somewhere, and not in the whole church, but certainly in the mainstream anyway. Pentecost, one of the essential parts of being a church, got lost for hundreds of years. Why? Because one generation somewhere along the way dropped the ball. I don't know where, I don't know when. But one generation stopped their hunger for God. And do you know that that can have an impact on a church for centuries? Do you know even what we're experiencing now is almost like the tail end of what God started in the 1900s? Some would say even that sort of began to die down in sort of the, the 40s and the 50s. And I think if we were to assess church history in the last 50 years, I think if we're honest, we could probably say, compared to what happened, God did years ago, we probably have lost somewhat a hunger for the presence of God, if we're going to be honest. And church, this morning, I'm here to tell you that we need to begin to stoke those fires again of hunger for the presence of God. Hunger for the presence of God. If we want to keep that Pentecostal flame, I, I grown up in um, a Pentecostal home and Pentecostal churches, and so the presence of God to be in a meeting so, so obviously, so tangibly, was, was just normal that I grew up with that. Um, things like even healings and, you know, uh, the people speaking in tongues and, and exercising the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and prophecy and all these different things was normal for me growing up, right? And when you said to somebody in school, you were healing, they were like, right? right? But you know what? I'm thankful for a Pentecostal upbringing. I'm thankful for a generation like Doris, like my grandmother, like my, even like my parents as well, who were not ashamed to hold that Pentecostal flame, who were not ashamed of Pentecost, who were willing to hold it up and say, this is the empowerment for our generation to save a generation who does not know Jesus. And church, we need to keep that alive. I'm getting, I don't know about you, but I'm getting excited about the experiences we're having in church at the minute. Have you noticed a season change? Or is that just me, Right? Do you know what that is? That is a rekindling, I believe, of a flame in our church. Of God putting back up a lampstand, of God putting back on an anointing in our church. Not saying that the things before weren't important, they were. But what I'm saying is God is doing something new, guys. And he says in the scripture, and we'll get to this later, do you perceive it? Do you, do you understand what I'm doing here? He is rekindling a flame within his people here. But you know what's our job, generation? To protect that flame. 
because a flame is easier to blow out than a fire. And we are at the stage of God restoring us and renewing us and bringing us into a new season that it's just at a flame. We haven't seen anything yet, church. See what we've experienced here? Even, and I, sometimes we have to realize the significance of what God is doing. Do you remember the other morning and there was like maybe three or four messages in tongues and, and the interpretations? Do you remember that? Guys, that's not normal. And I'm not mean it, but even in a lot of Elam churches today, that's not normal. We're experiencing something new of God. God is doing something different in our generation in this time, in this church. We don't deserve it, but he's choosing Donald to do something through. But guys, we have to protect that wee flame. And when we stoke it and we stoke it, it'll turn into a fire and a fire and it'll get brighter and brighter so our generation who don't know Jesus can see. But we have to protect the flame where it's at right now. Don't take what we're experiencing lightly. This is something important that God is doing. Keep coming hungry. Keep coming passionate for the presence of God. The next generation need to see you parents. And I'm saying this in a humble way because I don't have kids. And you're like, yeah, try that. Say that to Jordan when you have kids, right? Good luck, son, right? But I want to speak to parents. I did two years in teacher training and, and stuff. And so I sort of a, a, a wee bit of knowledge about how, how the mind of a, a child operates and, and is educated. Most primarily by example. Your children will not have a passion for God if they do not see you have a passion for God. And I know some things go wrong along the way and that happens. But our next generation in church guys will not have a passion for God, will not have a passion for the presence of God, will not pick up the gifts of the Holy Spirit, will not pick up the fruit of the Holy Spirit if we do not example that to them. I am thankful for people in this room who are brave and if you have a gift in the, in the Holy Spirit, be willing to use it, be willing to step out because I need to see you example that to me. Next point is this, passion for prayer. This is the third thing we need to example. Passion for prayer. I was said one time, I think it was Malcolm Duncan maybe said, that arguably maybe the greatest sin in the church, not saying our church, I just mean the church generally, right? In this generation is that we're probably the most, the least prayerless generation ever. The most prayerless generation, I used a double negative there. The least prayerful generation ever. There we go. Prayer, guys, is essential if we're going to pass on legacy to the next generation. Prayer is so important. Exodus 17, verse 11, and we don't have time to read it, but this passage paints a picture of what it is to intercede. This passage paints a picture of what it is to pray. The people of Israel are in a war. They're in a battle against the Amalekites, and Moses, while he's not there with a sword, while he's not there with a shield, he's at the side of them with his hands lifted. And when his hands got tired, Aaron and her kept his hands up. And when he kept his hands up, the people of God were winning. When his hands came down, the people of God started to lose. You see, prayer and doing kingdom work are not inseparable. You don't pray for the work of God. You pray as a part of the work of God. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. And I said to the older or the more experienced generation on Thursday um, that a big part, not, and it's not just the older generation, this has to be for all of us here, of prayer, of seeking God, of interceding, is essential, it's critical, if we're going to do kingdom work in this church. Without it, it's not happening. Why? When Moses brought his hands down, the, work, the, work of, the, the battle nearly came to an end. When he lifted his hands, the people were in victory. Kingdom work, fighting spiritual battles in your family, fighting spiritual battles in your workplaces, fighting spiritual battles in places like Tolly Carnot and Ballybean who need Jesus and it is our generation's responsibility that they hear about Jesus, we need to be interceding. 
we need to be praying. And I'm, I'm saying this as humble, as trying to be as humble as I can when I say this, right? But I think, and I know sometimes there's, there's other circumstances that happen and that's okay, but I think we could make a much better effort to pray, church. I think for the, for the size, say, that we have here this on a Sunday morning, I think we could have more on a Wednesday night when it comes, our prayer meeting once a month. And that's a challenge. The proportion of our church should be much bigger in a prayer meeting. Even on a Sunday morning, we're having prayer time. And you know what? I am convinced that what we are experiencing, that rekindling of that Pentecostal flame, is a result because the people of God in this church are meeting to pray and to seek him. And if a handful are meeting to seek him, what's going to happen when the church comes together to seek him? Come on, church. We need to be a generation that examples what it is to pray and to intercede. And that is a challenge I'm going to give you guys. Can we try to make more of an effort when it comes to prayer? And I know that as well, guys are praying and that is part of the intercessory process and life grips as well. That's part of that and we're doing that. But also when it comes to the midweek prayer meeting, can we have more, right, guys? Can we show, can I see your passion for God's presence, passion for prayer, an example after the next generation? Because our kids and our younger generation are not gonna have prayer meetings, right? When I was in Scotland, I was surprised. They had just started a prayer meeting in the church I came to and it had been going for about 100 years. The prayer meeting in the mainland has died out almost in many churches because one generation did not example to the next how to do prayer and so they didn't see the value in it. Guys, we have for the sake of the next generation in the church, for the sake of the next generation outside of the church, we have to example what it is to pray and intercede. When we lift our hands in intercession, we are a part of the battle. When you lift your hands to pray, you are immediately a part of the work of God. And if we want to see spiritual battles won, if we want to see the spiritual strongholds, which we cannot see, Paul says that we do not fight against blood and flesh, we fight against the spirits and the heavenlies unseen. If we want to win those spiritual battles in the church, strongholds in the church that need to be broken, if we want to win spiritual strongholds outside of the church, in the estates, in the paramilitary areas, even amongst wealthy people and who do not know Jesus, if we want to see those spiritual strongholds broken down, we must, must, must be interceding. God has told us how to win our community. Get your hands lifted. Get your hands lifted. Next point is this. Passion for, oh, I was going to say passion for prayer. We've done that one, sorry. Ezekiel 22 verse 30 says this. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I find no one. God is looking for your generation whatever generation you represent. And he is looking for our generation as one in the Donald Elam to stand in the gap. We have to stand in the gap. Because when eternity comes, our generation, individually and together as the church, we will be held accountable for what we did in our community. How much did you pray for those who did not know me? How much did you burden yourself for those who do not know me? And I hope, church, that we can answer that question confidently one day. Because it is our call on our lives to do that. Church, we have to stand in the gap. Can you stand in the gap for your family? For your work colleagues? For those around you who do not know Jesus? Can you lift up your hands and can you say, God, do something in my generation, in my family? I'll tell you a story. And it goes back to, you know, the example about, example to your kids. Sometimes the example doesn't always come off as some of your stories will, will, ha- will, will say and that happens. But intercessing changes things. When I was away, I asked my uncle, I said, and I sort of had the, um, 
and I didn't know what I knew, what I know now, what, that I should have known then. I was only about five. And I remember asking my uncle, um, are you a Christian, right? Because you know when you get that feeling when you're away, you know somebody's not a believer, right? And I said, are you a Christian? And he says, no, son. And in his wisdom, speaking to five-year-old me, I asked why, and he said, because uh, I don't go to church. And that was a good explanation for me at that age. And I prayed for him every night, every night, every night, every night. Without fail, just your standard wee child prayer, please, best granny, please, best granddad, did it. And then I would say, please, mate, uncle, a Christian. I would pray that every night before I went to bed. And I think when I was about 10, mum came in the door one day. In fact, no, do you know what I'll say? As I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, do you know who he is? Uncle Raymond. Raymond Mahoney. And usually he stands there and I and plays the saxophone. In fact, I don't know if he's here this morning. But now he comes to this church. I prayed as a wee boy over and over and over again, God, would you save my Uncle Raymond? And he did it. I was five when I started praying for him. Mom came in the door one day and says, your Uncle Raymond's come back to God. And I hadn't even been thinking about it. I had just been praying and praying and praying. And can I see, say to any parents or anybody who's a loved one who does not know Jesus, your intercessory prayer, while you may not see God move in the natural yet, he's preparing what he's going to do in the heavenly realms. When you lift up your hands for your loved ones, you're affecting things in the spiritual realms. My family is testimony to that. We need to be a generation, guys, that examples what it is to stand in the gap. Now, this is sort of the crux of the message. Is this. These three things are important and essential to be at the center of our church. Passion for prayer, passion for the word, passion for the presence of God is essential to be at the center of our church, at the center of our lives. What is the most important in our church? What is the emphasis on our lives? Because what we put at the center is what we'll pass on to the next generation. What you put at the center of your family, what you put at the center of your lives, what we put at the center of our church is exactly what we'll pass on to the next generation. What we put the emphasis on, what we gather around is what the next generation is going to gather around. We put the emphasis on prayer. We put the emphasis on the presence. We put the emphasis on, uh, and I forgot my first point. Somebody remind me, if you've been listening. Prayer, praise, worship, word. Because what we put at the center will either attract the next generation into God or it will repel them away. What we put at the center will either attract the next generation or it will repel them away. You see, we can fall trapped to putting things at the center that don't belong there. Important things, but they don't belong there. Without even realizing it, we can fall into the trap of putting a building at the center. We can fall into the trap and putting even style of church at the center. Is relevance important? Yeah, but it's not, it's not at the center. We can fall trap in putting tradition at the center, and I'm not saying necessarily that we are a traditional church, but every church has its traditions. Every church has its traditions, whether we realize it or not. We put that at the center, not going to attract the next generation. We'll just leave inheritance. And this is what happens, right, when we don't leave legacy at the center and we put inheritance in instead. At the church I was in in Glasgow, right, this was, the building was phenomenal. I would be in church every day except for a Saturday. And even when I was working in the office, I would come down and I would just sit in the building and I would just look at it. It was amazing, right, absolutely phenomenal. The council every year would ask the church, it was that good, to open it for the public just to come around and see it. 
This is, the, this is, the, this is the, the, how good this building was. It was designed by a man called Rennie McIntosh. I don't know if you probably won't know him, but he is one of Scotland's most celebrated architects. Art students today will still learn about him, that he has museums, he has monuments all over Glasgow. The Scottish are really proud of this fella, right? Do you know how much one of the pews are worth? Two and a half thousand pounds. One pew. One pew. Do you know how much the organ was worth? Somebody have a guess. How much the organ was worth, right? Shout to me. Talk to me. Have a guess. Sorry? Close. £650,000 for an organ. My first session meeting ever in my life, I said, can we sell it? You should have saw the looks I got. <laughs> right? It did not go down well. Right? This building was spectacular. I would have got rid of all the pews, for goodness sake. Honestly, two and a half grand for a pew at the door, right? Unbelievable. Imagine that. This building was a capacity seater, I would reckon, between about 1,200 people, 1,200. Huge building. There was one balcony, there was a big, long building, big balcony at the back, that wasn't enough. They put another balcony in at the side, two balconies in this church. Do you know how many people I got up in front of my first Sunday morning? 70. I got up in front of 70 people who were left in that church in that size of a building. Do you know why? Some generation, somewhere along the way, put the wrong things at the center. And they let that generation down. They were the most passionate people. They were the most lovely people. They were a gift with holiness and generosity. They were amazing. I had an amazing time. Beautiful people. But they had been let down by the generations before them. Because the building, tradition, and things that did not belong at the center of the church lost the next generation. And do you know what? That just doesn't happen overnight. That's a process. You just don't lose a generation like that. You just don't put the wrong things at the center like that. It, it, it's a process. It happens gradually. And we have to be careful, church, that we never slip into that. That we are willing, church, to put presence, prayer, and word at the center of everything. The center of everything. What we put at the center will define our message to the next generation. It will define what we are like. Paul turns to Timothy and he says, I have been poured out like a drink offering. I have given all of myself. Is your message to the next generation of our church and our family, I have given everything. I have put this at the center. Can you do the same? And these three things, guys, just aren't crucial to the next generation. It's crucial to our generation today. It's essential for us today because God cannot move a church into the community. God cannot move a church into broken lives that doesn't have the right things at the center because what's at our center is what we're going to communicate. We have to communicate the word, presence, and prayer. What's at the center is what we will communicate. We will take hold of everything God has for us when we put the right things at the center. Do you know how we know when we're putting the right things at the center of our church and of our lives? What's our heart and our thoughts before we come into church? Are we coming in, and this is a challenge, are we coming in with a passion to seek him Monday night, or sorry, Sunday night, Sunday morning, whether it rains or shines? Are we passionate for that? Because then we'll meet with God. Are we passionate to pray? Because then we'll meet with God. Are we passionate for the word? Because then we'll draw closer to God. You know what's at the center of your life by your thoughts and emotions towards church. And I encourage you, put these things at the center of your life. Last point is this, and with this I'll close. If we want to have legacy for the next generation, if we want to put the faith in the next generation, if we want to see it not just survive, but we want to see the church thrive, we have to release legacy. 
all the things that we have example to the next generation, we have to release them to do themselves. We have to release a younger generation to take on what God has called them to do. Are you with me? You see, Isaiah 43 says, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. You see, sometimes when God does a new thing in the church, he often moves through a new generation. You see that in revival. Do you know the first Welsh revival? That generation actually oppressed the next revival in Wales because they didn't get that God was doing a new thing. How ironic is that? Their generation saw revival brought to their nation, but then oppressed the second revival because they didn't get what God was doing next. And if we want to release the next generation, we have to be willing to trust them with their gifts because when God moves in the church in a new way, he moves through a new generation. He gives new giftings. He gives uh, a fresh anointing of spiritual gifts. He gives new ideas about church. He gives new vision about church. He gives new giftings, whether that is artistic or whether that is in technology so that we may release the next generation. But you know what happens? If we don't make room for the next generation, if we don't make room for new giftings and fresh anointings, you know what happens? The world makes room for them. We as the church must make room for the next generation or the world's going to make room for them. And this is what happens when we release legacy, when we release the next generation, and I'm nearly coming to a close. It brings change, right? When God does a new thing, it doesn't look like the old way. It doesn't sound like the old way, but it's a new thing. And sometimes that brings change. And you know what? Sometimes that's difficult. It can bring gradual change, ways of doing church, ways of doing evangelism, ways of doing worship, ways of doing ministry. And while change is hard sometimes, especially when we have to let go, and I'm speaking to my generation here as well, sometimes we have to let go of things that our generation holds dear. But isn't it worth it so that the next generation gets released into everything God has for them? When we want to release legacy, it changes our perspective on everything that goes on in church. See, when you hear, and I believe that, that worship should be a mix of old songs and new songs, decline what God has done, decline what God is doing now. But when you hear a new song, don't hear it as something else you need to learn. Don't hear it as something, a music style that maybe you're not familiar with. Do you know what that is? You're getting the privilege that many other generations did not get, and it's this. You are hearing the sound of a new generation breaking in. You're hearing the sound of a new generation coming in. That is amazing. We, as a generation, are experiencing something that many other churches aren't getting. Even when, just as an example, when a new song comes, that's the sound of a new generation breaking into everything God is doing. That's incredible. It changes your perspective. If, uh, I'm going to use another example. If, um, if you feel blessed by life groups, put your hand up, right? If you feel really, I feel blessed by life groups, put your hand up, right? All over the church. That brought change to a wee bit of structure, right? Brought change to some things. But you know what change brings? Blessing. Change brings blessing. And when God uses a new generation to bring change, it's not for blessing for their generation. Every generation gets blessed because of it. When God moves to a new generation, it's blessing for every single generation. God gives uh, new giftings, new ideas to a new generation. Every generation goes into a new set of giftings. Every generation goes into a new set of purpose. It's to bless all of us. It's to bless all of us. If we want to release legacy, if we want to release fresh blessings on the church, then we have to release the next generation. In 20 years, if we want to have it in Donald Elam, in 50 years, if we want to have it in Donald Elam, in 100 years, if we want to have it in Donald Elam, which just isn't surviving, but it is thriving, we must release legacy. So how do we release legacy? We release legacy by being an example. That example is in passion for the Word of God. Passion 
for the presence of God and passion for prayer. We do those things. We put them at the center of our church. They become the most important things. They become our emphasis and what drives us. We will pass on the faith to the next generation. Not just for the church's sake, but for those in our community who do not know Jesus, who need a church to rise up with a voice in this day and say, you are loved. There is a hope for you. There is restoration for you. And church, listen to me. We will rewrite the story of our community when we release legacy. You will rewrite the story of your family when you release legacy. You will rewrite the story of your workplace when you release legacy. Church has been a privilege to speak to you this morning. Thank you for listening to my heart in this. And I pray, I pray, pray that we would take up this challenge, that we would press more and more and more into prayer, presence, and the word, that we would pass on legacy. God bless you.